For some of you, tomorrow begins the new school year. For some of you, you've already begun. And so today, as a part of what we do each and every year, we want to pray for our students. We want to pray for our teachers. We want to pray for parents as we kind of kick off the new school year. And so this morning, right now, what I want to do is um, I want to pray for the teachers who are in this room. And uh, those of you who are uh, in the uh, administration of schools, if you're a homeschool parent, um, if you're involved in the life of a student uh, from an educational standpoint, we want to pray for you this morning. And uh, so what I'm going to ask you to do, I, I know some of you don't want to do this and you'll be very angry at me and that's fine, uh, is I'm going to ask you to stand and um, I'm going to ask you to stay standing so that we as a church can pray over you. So if you're a teacher, if you are a parent uh, of homeschool uh, kids, or if you are on staff with the school, would you stand right now um, for a moment, please? Yes. Awesome. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Stay standing. Stay standing. Uh, on behalf of Hilton Head Island Community Church, we're so thankful for the job that uh, all of you do um, in your schools and in our kids' lives, and we just want to pray for you. And I've selected a prayer that I found uh, on the Christian Post online, and it's kind of an excerpt from the National Day of Prayers prayer. And so if you're near one of these teachers or uh, administrators, if you would just reach out your hand in support of them and even put it on their shoulder in support of them as I pray uh, a blessing over our teachers this morning. So would you join me in praying this morning? Our master teacher in heaven, thank you for your many amazing gifts of knowledge and wisdom for us all. We're grateful for giving us the power of language from our very beginning as your creation. We delight to hear your guidance, your love, your encouragement, your wisdom, and your forgiveness. We delight to learn from you and the amazing scriptures that you've given and preserved for us. We delight to teach our children our youth, our fellow adults, to help them learn from your word and words about the world. Especially, we delight to teach your gospel, your wisdom, and the wonders of your amazing grace. We passionately desire to see the earth full of the knowledge of you as the waters cover the sea. We thank you for being our ultimate teacher. By your spirit, now please renew each of these who are standing right now. Every teacher, administrator, and every student in this country in our state, and in our community, to renew our callings, to know you better, to follow your teachings more fully, and to fulfill the potential you created and redeemed within each of us. Be with each that are standing right now. May you, God, go before them, guide their minds, guide their hearts, and God, may they, they follow you and your leading in their classroom all for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Most embarrassing moment of your week, I'm sure, right there. So I'm very thankful for all of our teachers. And I don't think it's any coincidence that today um, God had arranged for us to talk about the specific topic that we are, are discussing today in our service. And today we're continuing in our series, aka God, taking a look at, at just a few of the many names of God. And we have three left. Uh, so far, we've discussed what it means that God is faithful, that he is uh, our, our, the strong one, the mighty one. We've looked at the fact that he, was our, he is our father and that he is our king and that he is our shepherd. And today, I don't think it's any coincidence that we're 
talking about one of the names of God and looking at one of the names of God that's probably one of the most mysterious names of God. In fact, we'll learn today why it's called this, but in uh, many uh, theologians over the years and, and um, uh, really when the scripture, as the scriptures were being pulled together, they, they named this the secret name of God or the hidden name of God. And you'll see why in just a few minutes. And the name of God we're going to be discussing today is Everlasting God. Elolam. Elolam in the Hebrew means Everlasting God. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, oh my goodness, this is going to get really like theological and, and, and you know, we're going to be looking at something that's very hard to define because let's face it, it's, it's kind of easy to learn something practical from God the Father or God the Shepherd or God the King, but everlasting God, really? Like what is there to learn that I can use tomorrow about everlasting God? And my prayer and my hope is, is that his Holy Spirit right now would begin to work on your heart and your mind and that he would communicate to you what he wants to communicate about this great name, everlasting God. And when I say that word everlasting, the thing that kind of comes to my mind, I don't know about your, your, your mind, but it's this concept of time, the concept of time. He's the everlasting God, and we'll study the word and what it means here in a moment, but essentially, everlasting, what is it? It means that, it, that he was before time and that he exists beyond time. Mind blown, right? Like, don't think about that too often because it really makes your head hurt. It really makes your mind hurt. Like, how in the world could anything or anyone exist before time and beyond time. What does that even mean? How is that even possible? We, as humans, have been trying to understand eternity forever, haven't we? It's kind of ironic, isn't it? We forever have been trying to understand what eternity means. I, I grew up in, in the age of uh, Back to the Future. You guys r remember Marty and Doc trying to, you know, like travel in time, right? Back to the Future. I mean, how many? There were seven of those made, I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Probably three, but that's okay. So Marty and Doc trying to figure out how to travel in time. And, and I really believe to this day the reason they figured it out is they, they used a really cool car. That's how they figured out this idea of time travel. We've been trying to understand eternity for as long as humans have been on the earth. And I think it's funny that that movie is about 30 years old. I think it was 30 years old just recently. Makes me feel very old because I remember when it came out. And now, here we are 30 years later, and then there are still science fiction books. There are still professors, the, the most intelligent people in the world. There are great artists that are trying to grasp the idea of time. And what happens is the more we try to grasp it, the more it kind of slips through our fingers. But I want you to realize something right out of the gates. That when we talk about everlasting God, that part of what that means, part of that name ascribed to God means that he is time itself. He is everlasting. In some ways, he is eternity himself. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the first book of the Bible. We're going to start there today, and then we're going to take a look at several different passages throughout Psalms. But we're going to start in Genesis 21. 
where we find one of the very first times that this Hebrew name Elohim is used to describe God as everlasting. I want to give you a little bit of uh, background because this this passage um, is maybe a little bit tricky to understand. Some of you may have read this before, and there are certainly different applications to this, but what I want to take a look at today is the name that's used here to describe a place is also this name of God, El Olam. Now, just to kind of set the stage, just want to give you a little bit of background. This is the story of Abraham and Abimelech. And if you know anything about Abraham, he's the father of the Jewish people, right? Father Abraham, do you want to sing it right now with me? No, we're not going to do that. Okay, I don't lead worship or sing at all. So anyway, Abraham was the leader of the Jewish people. He's a father of this great nation. The Jewish people had many enemies, and among those enemies were the Philistines, some of you may know the Philistines because there was a great Philistine by, you know, um, that uh, David killed um, by the name of what? Goliath, okay? So the, the Jews, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people had this great enemy, the Philistines, and Abimelech is one of the leaders of the Philistine army. And, and so Abimelech, he and his men uh, essentially tried to take some of the land that Abraham had, had claimed as his own. And in fact, his men had dug a well on this particular piece of land. And Abimelech comes in and he takes claim to this land that was already Abraham's. And in this passage we're going to read, you're going to see a peace treaty. Perhaps it's one of the very first peace treaties that, that was ever agreed upon. And it was, a, it was a treaty and an agreement because both Abimelech and Abraham had to give a little bit. And they had to, they had to come to terms with, you know, ha- having something that they wanted in this land or over this land. They had to compromise in some form or fashion. This conflict arose and God clearly told Abraham to try to bring peace into the situation Take a look at this. We're going to read verses 22 through 34. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. He looked at Abraham and saw that God was with him, and he just said, look, God is with you always. Now, therefore, he says, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham agreed to that in verse 24. He says, I will swear to that. But I love this because Abraham comes back and he's like, I will do that. However, we have one little issue that we have to go over. I love this in verse uh, 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said... I don't know who's done this thing. Did you not tell me or you did not tell me uh, 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 and I have not heard about it until today. Isn't that classic like when someone is guilty, they use that like whole line of argument right there. I didn't know about this. Like you didn't tell me about this. I'm telling you about it right now, dude. All right, so that's the deal. So Abraham did this. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a covenant, an agreement. Abraham set seven ewes of lands uh, of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be witness for me that I dug this well. 
And so you can see each of them are compromising. Look at verse 20, 32, because here's some of you are like, why in the world is this the passage he's reading this morning? It has nothing to do with El Olam, everlasting God. It does, I promise. I'll bring it back around. Verse 32, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Like, see you guys, have fun. Back, go back to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the what? The everlasting God. He called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now, this was a very important time in the life of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, um, because this was right like as they were gaining the promised land. In fact, a lot of theologians call this land, Beersheba, the first claim of the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham uh, uh, long ago in the covenant and, and, and between God and Abraham. And, and so we see in this, this is an important part. It's an important region because it's right there in the, in the Sinai Peninsula. And so it, it kind of bridged the gap between what we know of today as you know Jerusalem and Israel and the Holy Lands, if you will, and Egypt. This was kind of a dividing line, if you will, between what became the Western world and, and the Eastern world. And so this is a very important land. It's a very important treaty in the life of the Jewish people, but also in culture altogether. And Abraham gives the name of the land there that they're on where they made that peace treaty. He gives it a name that indi would indicate to, to people for uh, uh, generations that this land came about because of the everlasting God. This treaty was giving honor to the God who is everlasting. And so this is an important time, and what's significant is that the place where they were was indicated and was called by, by that name, Everlasting God, for generations and generations to honor the fact that God was in control and that he was in charge. And so this is one of the very first times that that's used. But there are a couple psalms, and one of them was before this time that it was used. And I want you to take a look at several of these psalms. Now, before we dive into several of these different psalms, I want you to know that the name El Olam is really from Elohim Alam, which Elohim means the strong creator. Keep that in mind for, for a few minutes later. That the real name is Elohim Olam, which means the strong creator that is everlasting. And in the Jewish culture, when the scriptures were written, the Jewish people and the Jewish scribes began to use a synonym or, or um, began to use another um, name that became attributed to God that was El Alam, which means hidden. And most theologians believe that they use that name for God as a synonym with El Alam to kind of give this hint that it was very difficult to understand this particular name of God. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit better about this concept of El Olam, the everlasting God, that the Jewish priests and the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish scribes all the way back in the ancient time had a hard time understanding this, so much so that they used interchangeably the name everlasting and hidden. That's why this is the secret name of God. They had a hard time understanding that. They had a hard time understanding what in the world does it mean that God is everlasting. Check this out, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2. Lord, 
You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This was the oldest psalm that was written in the Bible. It was written by Moses. It was a psalm of reflection just about life. And olam is the word that's used here. But take a look at this, Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 10, verse 1. This was a psalm that was written uh, as, as a psalm of, of frustration. You can sense that, like, I feel like God is hidden. I feel like he's far away. And so the psalmist here is, is writing uh, many of the same characteristics as we see in Psalm 90, but from a different perspective, like he's, he's, he's discouraged, he's downcast. He feels like God is really far away. Have you ever been there before? I have. Felt like God was really, really, really far off. And so he, he says here, why do you hide your face in times of trouble? That word hide there in the original language is El Alam. That name that means hidden, which is synonymous with El Olam, which means everlasting. And so there's this tension, there's this kind of like spiritual irony when we look at this name of God, this everlasting name of God, because it's hidden, it's secret, it's hard to understand, it's, it's difficult for us to comprehend. Um, God doesn't give our minds the ability to fully comprehend eternity or everlasting, or time beyond time, or time before time. And I think he does it for a reason. We'll take a look at that in a moment. Psalm 25, verse 6 says this, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. This is an example of the psalmist communicating that God is eternal. Um, Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations talking about um, the fact that uh, God endures forever. Psalm 103, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So we see that these psalms are telling us that God's love is indeed everlasting, and because of that, he is everlasting. But what in the world does all of this mean? What in the world? I mean, you've just heard kind of a little bit of a Hebrew language lesson. You've got a little, you know, a little bit of a, the history of what, what the word means. But what does it mean to us today? Again, it's easy to kind of get our arms and our minds around shepherd and king and father and some of these others that we've learned. But what in the world does it mean? Well, I think that we can learn a lot about God and we can learn a lot about our relationship with God. I want to give you three things that I think that we can learn from this name of God that we can learn about God. The first is these are truths about the everlasting God, the first one is, is that God's in control. God is in control. God is in control. We can learn, secondly, that God has always been, and we can learn, lastly, that God will never change. God is in control. I want you to think about that for a moment. I don't know about you. I've had times in my life where I thought, there's no one in control. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that God is very far off, as we read in Psalm chapter 10 that God is far off, that he is a long way away, that maybe he doesn't even exist. And the fact that he's everlasting God begins with us learning and understanding that God is in control. 
And I've had people say, hey, wait a minute, Todd, God's in control, but the Bible also gives us indications that he's given control to this world over Satan. And yeah, so there's a caveat here. God is in control of like the big picture. He's in control, if you will, to use a sports analogy, the, the long game. He, he's, he's in control of the whole thing. But you know, when he gave us free will, when he gave humanity free will in the Garden of Eden and we sinned, we chose to turn our back on God and have been ever since from that time on in some ways, he, he allowed control to be taken over. And so the things that we deal with that we feel like God is far off are things that we deal with, whether it's sickness or whether it's, it's the results of sin in our life or in someone else's life. If we've been victimized in some kind of way, if we're dealing with um, you know, um, disappointment um, about, you know, know, maybe school or students, the classes that you just found out that you were in that you really weren't excited about, um, or the person that you're in a class with that you're really not excited about, or parents, the fact that the school you're so short, um, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but we may be, um, you know, we, we may be disappointed in our lives about certain things and situations uh, because God gave us free will from the beginning, and uh, he's in control of the long game, but for a while, we might have disappointment because this is a fallen world and because of original sin, because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, as Romans says, that none of us can escape that. None of us, none of us escape the results of sin. But he's in control. He's in control. Even though the world may be crashing in around us, we can trust because he's the everlasting God that he is in control. He's always been, because he's the everlasting God. We can know the truth about God that he has always been. He's eternal. And while he created us, and while we're temporal, while we're temporary, we can know that he is eternal, that he's always been, and he always will be. And I love this aspect of God. He's so merciful, he's so understanding, and he controls time. He controls everything in the past, and he controls everything in the future, the long game of eternity. He controls it so much that he was willing to allow us to enter in, even though we're temporal, even though this body is temporal, he allowed us to enter into eternity with him by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Man, that's awesome. And he did that because he controls eternity. So God controls eternity. He's always been. And then lastly, he will never change. I don't know about you, but man, um, life changes all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> it seems to change every day, many times every hour, and sometimes even every minute. And in our changing culture, in our changing world, we can know because he's everlasting that he never changes. He's our anchor in the midst of changing water all the time. That's what we can learn about God. But what can we learn about us and God? Well, because God is everlasting, here's kind of the take-home, three take-home things for you today. First and foremost, we should stop trying to be God. Because God is everlasting, we don't have to try to be God anymore. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're like, Todd, that doesn't apply to me. I don't ever try to be God. My guess is that everyone in this room, since we woke up this morning, in some way, whether small or large, we tried to be God. 
at some point in time, even in, it's only 10 o'clock, even in the first few hours of the day, we probably tried to do something where we replaced God. Because what that is, is that's just sin. It might have been something small. It might have been something huge. But we do it in subtle ways. We do it when we get frustrated because of circumstances that surround us. We do it when we get mad at those who are closest to us and they're just trying to be closer. We do it when we, we, we get mad at someone we don't even know. We do it when maybe we're frustrated with our current circumstances and we kind of shake our fist and our, maybe our attitude or maybe even our action to God. And the everlasting God teaches us that we should stop trying to be God. We should stop trying to be God. He is God, and we are not. Secondly, he is always available to us. Oh, man, he is always available to us. Because he's everlasting, it means that he doesn't change. It means that he's always constant. And I want you to hear this. If you're here today, whether you're a Christian or not, God is always there for you, ready and waiting for you. He is always there and available to us. And because he sent his son Jesus, now we don't have to go through a priest or we don't have to go through someone. You don't have to come to me. You can just talk to him on your own. He's available anywhere you are at any moment. I don't don't know if you've ever had this experience. I hope that I'm not the only one that's had this experience, but it happens to me often. I'll, uh, I'll walk around the house like this. I'll walk around the house and I'll, I'll, I'll be going, where's my, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Who took my phone? Kids, Sydney, Sean, where's my phone? Did you guys take my phone? Where, did you guys see it? Can it help me find my phone? And they'll look at me and they'll go, hey, dad, which put in parentheses, stupid. Your phone is right in your hand. Have you ever had that happen? Has that ever happened? Keys, wallet purse, ladies, yeah, glasses, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's right there in your hand. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? (laughs) Anytime we have the tendency to go, where's God? Where's God? Where is God in this situation? Where is God in the midst of my my finances, my financial collapse? Where is God in the midst of business teachers, headmasters, principals? Where is God in the midst of the school year? (laughs) He's right there. He's right there. He's available for you in the midst of your addictions, in the midst of what you're going through right now that has put a lid on your family life and your spiritual life. He is there for you. He's always available. And lastly, God is never surprised. He's never surprised. Man, we should stop trying to be God in some ways because of the last two, that he's always available to us and he's never surprised. We may be surprised by our circumstances. We may be surprised by the diagnosis. We may be surprised by the grade. We may be surprised by the demotion. We may be surprised by someone else's promotion. We may be surprised by by the divorce or the unfaithfulness or whatever it is. But I want you to hear something today. Because he's the everlasting God, listen, listen, listen. 
he is not surprised. He has you in the palm of his hand with everything that you've dealt with from before. And he has you in the palm of his hand with everything in the future. So in so many ways, we're just like Abraham. We're just like Moses. We're just like these men and women from the Bible who had the same struggles and had to reach out and take God's hand when their life was so foggy they couldn't see in front of them. One of the most difficult things for me when I was in school and in college and even in young adulthood and sometimes even now was not understanding why I can't see the future. I mean, God wants us to make the most of every moment. He wants us to make the most of our time, so why doesn't he give us an indication of what's going to happen tomorrow? Because he knows better. Because he sees it even when we don't. There are different, in the aviation world, there are different types of ratings, different types of license that pilots receive at different times. I know I've got a few pilots in here. You can correct me if I'm wrong about this later. Not right now. Uh, but there are different types of ratings that you have. And there's, there's a rating that's an instrument rating. And what that means is, is that when you're in the clouds, when you can't see the runway, when you can't see the ground, you use your instruments to guide you to safety. Pilots that come right out and they're private pilots, general aviation, most of them don't have instrument rating. And they can only fly when they can see the ground. Here's the good thing about the Christian life is that when there's fog and when the clouds are thick and when they're dark and when there's a storm, all we have to do is reach out and grab the God who is the everlasting one because he knows the future. He knows why you went through what you went through in the past. And he has a reason and a purpose for it all. And it's for your good and it's for his glory. So yeah, El Olam, El Alam, Elohim, the great creator, created you and me to be connected with him. For us to be able to reach out and to guide us through our lives, even if we never, ever, ever have a clear picture what tomorrow holds. It's meaningful, isn't it? It is meaningful. It's purposeful. And he's the everlasting God because he loves you and he loves me. God, I thank you so much that you are in control. And yes, sin entered the world from the beginning of humanity. And yes, you gave us free will. And yes, each and every day we try to become God and we disappoint you. But God, I thank you that you are El Olam. And even though it is very difficult for us to comprehend it intellectually, Father God, I thank you that you are the everlasting God. I thank you that you were since before the beginning of time and that you will be for eternity. And God, I want to pray for those who are gathered here right now in this room who, um, whether they know you as their Savior or not, um, God, their present is extremely cloudy. Like tomorrow is intensely fogged up and it is cloudy 
and it is dark. And God, right now, because you are the everlasting God, will you allow them in whatever circumstance it is, whether it's health, whether it's financial, whether it's a relationship, whether it's fear about the future, college, school, all of it, God, I pray right now that you would give them the courage and the conviction and the ability to reach out and to grab your hand and to trust you enough to say, guide me into the future because you're the one who knows the future. You hold the future. You know it. You knew it from the beginning and you know it until the end. God, may we reach out and may we grab your hand and may we follow you and may we allow you to lead us through some of the most difficult circumstances that we've ever faced in our lives. If you're here today and you don't even know the God that we've talked about, you've never put your faith in his son Jesus to become your savior. Um, I wanna give you the opportunity during this song to come down and to, I know Scott Mackay, Pastor Scott's over here by the cross, come down to the cross and I know he would love to talk with you about what it means to become a Christ follower. If you're here and you need prayer, I know Scott would be glad to help you. We have others that can pray with you as well. Um, during this song, if you have an area of your life that is incredibly dark and it's incredibly foggy right now, and the clouds are thick, would you just quietly, just in the moments as, as our, the worship team sings, as Gino and Andrea sing, would you just pray a prayer of reaching out to God and just asking him to guide you through what right now is a very difficult time. Father God, I pray that you would be with each one of us. Give us the courage to trust you for the future, even when our future is dark, even when it's cloudy, and even when it's foggy. God, may we trust you because you are the everlasting God. In Jesus' name.